It's time for JT the Brick. Receiver from the University of Colorado, number 21, Cliff Branch. We kick off the summer of Cliff Branch. Tucker drops back to pass. Steps up. He looks. Over the middle. He's got it. Touchdown Raiders! That's by Cliff Branch! The summer of Cliff. Cliff Branch, all summer long. JT the Brick. Prepare your phone call. I want Cliff content from you. Stabler plays big back to pass. Gets a big rush out. He'll cut the man. Stabler's throwing deep for Branch. He's got it to 20. The 10. Touchdown Raiders. What separated Cliff was he was amazing, meticulous route runner. As we count down to Cliff, the summer of Cliff on the flagship. And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you today on an exciting day on Raider Nation Radio. 9.20 a.m. Hope everybody's having a great day as we are still waiting for rain. I ended the show yesterday saying waiting for some rain. Be careful on the roads out there. We could flood. That's what we do in Vegas. We get quick rain. It usually never happens when it does. You can flood if you're new to this market. If you haven't seen it, it is dangerous. It is deadly, period. So get to a safe spot. Get to the side of the road. And don't be a hero if there's a flash flood in Vegas. So that's my PSA to start off the show. Busy show today. We have two big guests, really three. Uh, Jim Plunkett will join us at the bottom of the hour. Raider royalty. Jim bleeping Plunkett. Uh, Jim joins me throughout the year. Jim will come on to talk about Cliff. The summer of Cliff continues All the interviews that I've had, I appreciate your feedback. I appreciate the downloads. It means everything to me. The summer of Cliff. And now we get Jim Plunkett. Fred Blitnikoff had a reschedule. We're going to get him Monday from Canton. He's He's going to be in Canton on Sunday. Ahead of all of this, he's going to join us Monday. George Atkinson, a Cliff's other best friend with Mark Davis. When you think of Cliff, I think of Mark and George. Uh, George Atkinson's supposed to join us tomorrow. And I'm just kind of threading the needle trying to get on the remaining teammates of his that I think will have the biggest impact on the radio. So very excited about that. Uh, Brian Billick, former head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, NFL Network, all of the work that he does. He will join us at the top of next hour. Uh, Q is out at the media session that's going on right now. I'm going to interview at 2 o'clock for about 15 minutes the new play-by-play voice of the Raiders. That announcement will be made at 1 o'clock. From what I'm hearing, we'll wait till 1 o'clock when the Raiders make the announcement and we will have the play-by-play voice of the Raiders on at 2.05. That's a big deal. And then Q takes over and he's got a big show lined up too. So that's what we're doing today, a big day. New voice of the Raiders, Brian Billick, Jim Plunkett, and your phone calls at 702-365-9200. So I really want to hear from you. And I want to hear from you out of the gate on Cliff Branch as the countdown to Cliff continues a week from today. What's today? Today is July 26th. So as I look at the calendar here, this is Tuesday. Next Wednesday, I leave for Canton. And I'm there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, coming back on Sunday. So the summer of Cliff, we're getting to the point where it really counts now. Cliff's induction, Cliff's party, and then everybody else that's out there. So that's what we're going to do, and we'd really appreciate and we really enjoyed your participation on Cliff. I cannot do this on my own. I do not have a 1,000 Cliff stories. I got some really good personal ones that I've been sharing, but you matter more than me. You've been a Raider fan. You're a diehard. You've been around in the 60s, 70s, 80s. You have Cliff stories. You got signatures from Cliff. You hung out with him. Your story means everything. So jump on board and let us know 
what you remember most about Cliff and what you're most proud of. What are you most proud of at this point as we get going and we're ready to roll? Now, let's go out to the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. The premier offensive lineman on the Raiders, Colton Miller, is meeting with the media. Well, we got the news that uh, Denzel Good retired yesterday. He played with him for a while. So your, your reaction to it? Yeah, he was, he was uh, you know, with me when I was a rookie. And, you know, we, uh, you know, going through that and, uh, time he's been on the team, he's he's been a you know great influence. You know, hard worker. He's had some setbacks with injuries, and um, so uh, you know, I hope um, I hope this is just like a little you know setback. I, I hope you know he could maybe return one time. I don't, I don't know his his mentality. I just got to you know say goodbye to him. Um, but you know, yeah, he was he was working his ass off on and off the field. So um, I'm gonna love that dude. Appreciate him. Um, I hope I hope he's uh, he'll he'll be good. Can you talk about Dylan, just his development and what you're seeing out of him, him and Alex specifically, please? Yeah, uh, Dylan and Alex, they, uh, they've, you know, of course they don't, they don't talk a whole lot. They're just more like they get in and, and, and grind every day. Um, you can really, you can really tell with like the focus, <clears throat> the demeanor that they bring. Um, they, they come to work each day. Colton, is that Sons of Anarchy shirt kind of the? For the offensive line this year? <laughs> no, this is we got a uh, we we were first given these uh, last year, um, but not now the whole team's got them. Actually, I haven't even seen the show yet. I hear it's pretty good, <laughs> but uh, no, nah, I think it just looks sweet. To be honest. But in some ways, that stand for Sons of Anarchy, like uh, yeah. Well, okay. Brown, Brown was just in here, and he said that the line that you see it, you see it across social media, his words were the butt of jokes in terms of trying to improve and prove yourselves. Mm -hmm. Do you see that in terms of how, how he kind of said that? And, Are you talking about, like, expectations? Just expectations and how others have perceived you. He said, you know, you see it across social media, you, see, you don't want to, but it's there. Like, expectations of what's your guys' expectations when you see stuff like that? Yeah, there's, I mean... There's a lot of, you know, distractions, you know, outside the building, but um, really we want, we want to keep, you know, together as we can, you know, keep all the noise in here. Um, we like to set our own expectations, um, you know, I, but and, and try to exceed that. Uh, really it starts internally, at least for me, and I know for a lot of us. Um, but, of course, you've, you hear he's probably responding, you know, to, you know, you see it. You can't, um, uh, you can't always ignore it, but... No, I think I feel as a group we set our own expectations and and we strive to some footwork issues and this and that. But um, now I'm excited because that's that's the first step. You know, you know we got a game pretty soon, so you know getting getting things popping and and uh, everything nailed in will be uh, be really good for us. Brandon mentioned uh, running a lap for a false start. That's a lot of accountability. We've been talking a lot about accountability. What has that been like? Yeah, um, you know we want to uh, eliminate. Um, Self-inflicted penalties, so try, we try to really focus in and uh, um, for our own accountability. You know, if we <clears throat> have a have an issue, then you know we take take a lap. Um, we don't say anything. You know, it's just next man up. It's not you know stop practices and that. Just you know, we just got to be more. We we hold each other to a higher standard. So we'll, we're that's how we're trying to uh, execute that. Seems like that's been far and few between uh, these last week or so. Do you feel like you, you guys are doing a, a better job of, of maintain or mitigating those self-inflicted penalties? Right. Yep. Yep. Through uh, you know through work each day and, and focus and and keeping each other accountable.
Just from your own eyes, what do you think has been one of the most impressive things you've noticed about the offense this year? Um, just the, I feel like, you know, we're, we really uh, click together. Um, I feel we really, you know, we really push off each other's. It's a very, like I said, it's a very competitive room, um, but there's still love, love for each other, want each other to get better. Um, uh, I think that's that's the best. Really, you can. That's the best group you want to have. Guys that care about each other, but will compete their ass off every day. Well, we've seen a few different guys working next to you, namely John Simpson and, and uh, Dylan Paro. You know, what have you seen kind of from the young guys on the interior that don't go in competition and how they've performed? So far? Again, we have a real, really competitive group. Um, you know, guys come to work each day, uh, and I think you know Pat's coming in tomorrow. Uh, guys being able to really like take that next step, I think would be huge. Lester Cotton, can you give us your thoughts on him, please? Lester Cotton, man, he's well going into year uh, year four. Is it year four? Yeah, year four. Yeah, man, he's he's uh he's been competing his ass off, man. Just watching him grow and and um, man, how much yeah the growth the growth and um, you know the strength and speed, everything. He's been he's he's been one guy to look at like that surprised me for sure. Two more, Adam. <clears throat> Back in 2018, when you were a rookie, you saw action in the preseason games. How important are those games for guys like Dylan and Thayer, in your opinion? Are you going to tell them something about that? Yeah, I mean, um, with, uh, you know, starters or just for guys, for everyone, um, it's really, uh, you know, you get, get back in that, um, that groove. Um, you treat preseason like a regular game um, as, far, as far as, like, you know, your pregame routine um, and going out and competing. And it, you, you go through those same steps. So it's there's that piece, and there's also, you know, just getting film out there, getting getting used to playing against a different guy uh, across from you. Um, so I think that's huge for for everybody, for everybody. Awesome. Cole, do you uh, consider yourself a Big Ten guy yet? Big Ten guy. <laughs> yeah, man, that's that's uh, that's crazy. Um, no, I think it'll be great for you know competition. You know, UCLA and USC going to Big Ten. I hope they got their class schedule set down because leaving on a Friday after finals and then having to fly four or five hours, that's, that's a lot to ask. It's going to be a little bit colder, but they'll, they'll, they'll get it all situ situated. So, um, yeah. Cool. All right, that's Colt Miller. How cool was that? I'm happy we were able to take that live. So Colt Miller is having fun. He's got the Sons of Anarchy shirt on. He's smiling. He's happy. He's the leader. Of the offensive line. And that's a really big topic today. I didn't get a chance to talk to you because after we finished the show yesterday, Denzel Good, the guard, the tackle on the reserve retired list. And a lot of people didn't see that coming. You know, there could have been a demotion. He could lose his position. But I think the writing was on the wall. They wanted to go in a different direction. They're able to do that now. And as I've told you, the entire offseason, I've told you the entire offseason that the Raiders are in the market for more offensive linemen. We knew this. Uh, Jordan Meredith, he comes in as a free agent guard, and they're going to give him an opportunity at a depth position. And as of now, we'll see what they do. Uh, Colt Miller, you just heard from the left tackle. There's John Simpson. There's Andre James at center. Lester Cotton Sr., where Vic Tafer tweeted out yesterday, maybe I'm just really sleeping on Lester Cotton, and he's a mauler, and he's a good player, and I think the team has more and more confidence in him. I don't know for sure. i got to talk to Dave Ziegler tomorrow and Josh McDaniels eventually on this, and Alex Leatherwood has got a sink or swim at right tackle. We all know that, 
And a lot of people are encouraged by that. With all the production he had in college, all the games he played in last year, including a playoff game, a really good offseason with conditioning and study work. Now we got to hope that Alex Leatherwood can play his position at right tackle. We know he can play right guard if they move him inside. So that also leads me to believe that the Raiders could be bringing in another right tackle if that tackle becomes available via cutdowns from another team. You know, there are several teams in the league, and I don't have every name in front of me, but there are teams in the league that have multiple offensive linemen at multiple positions who are really good, and they might cut a player because they don't have a spot for him as a starter, and they don't want to pay that type of money for a backup. That's the type of player the Raiders need. Now, a lot of teams can afford to pay a backup who's really good the money to stick around in case there's an injury. So you want to have your right tackle and your left tackle position locked in, and you want to have your 1-1A and guys. That's why it's so important that Colton Miller, who you just heard from, stays healthy. He's got to be healthy because at that point in time, having a right tackle that they're trying to figure out now with Leatherwood, and then if Miller got banged up, that'd be tough. More and more people are talking about Derek Carr and the fact that he's got to be better. Peter King gave us a little look into that in his Monday morning quarterback column when he talked about sitting in with Josh McDaniels. He told that to the morning show. And you know Derek's going to have to make better decisions at the line of scrimmage, and he's very strong at the line of scrimmage. A former Raider coach told me that he's the best he's ever seen other than Drew Brees. And the reputation of Derek Carr around the league is he's very good at the line of scrimmage, trying to figure out protection and calling off certain types of packages and seeing what's happened. Now, the greatest of all times, Tom Brady. Brady was the king of that, and who'd he work with? Josh McDaniels. Every time Brady went to the line of scrimmage, and ladies and gentlemen, this is my biggest takeaway of the Patriot dynasty. It wasn't their defense, which was good. It was their special teams. That was good. They didn't have legendary wide receivers other than Randy Moss, and he didn't win a Super Bowl. Their running backs were never superstars. It was Tom Brady. And every time you remember Brady breaking the huddle, he would slowly walk to the line of scrimmage, and before he put his hands under the center, he'd look to the left, look to the right, and instantly, instantly he knew the mismatch. Right there. And there was always a mismatch because he had Gronk, Hernandez before his fall from grace and what he did and then they had great slot receivers Amendola Welker Edelman and then they had guys who could catch the ball out of the backfield sounds like the Raiders it does and their offensive line was probably better than this Raiders offensive line all throughout Brady's career because those offensive linemen played in the playoffs and they played in the Super Bowl and they won multiple Super Bowl rings but what they did at the line of scrimmage was they quickly saw the weakness and Brady went with it and how many times did you see Brady hold on to the ball and wait, 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 wait for someone to get open? Not much. It was a clean five-step drop. Boom. Ball comes out or a three-step drop and the ball came out to the slot receiver. That's what Derek Carr has to do. He has to evolve into the style of Tom Brady, which he should be able to do. He won't be Tom Brady. He won't be better, but he'll be in the classroom with the guy who helped made Tom Brady, and that's the great Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels and Brady worked side-by-side with picking up blitz schemes and changing the look at the line of scrimmage. I think that's what Peter King told us in his column that he witnessed is the ability to see that come together in one play that they went over for about 15 minutes on how Derek needed to have a pump fake like Steph Curry. 
wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Extend the play, pump fake, and then it's open. And you know your blocking schemes. You know everything that you have there. That's my takeaway from the Peter King column. So uh, nice to hear from Colt Miller. And I think with the news of yesterday, the big news of yesterday and what happened with Jordan Meredith coming in and Denzel Good on the reserve retirement list, that's a wake-up topic. And I know Q did it and other guys, you know, in the morning they did it, but I didn't do it yet. And I want to know your concerns today for the O-line and what you expect. It could be a Leatherwood phone call. It could be about Colt Miller who just spoke. It could be about bringing in another player. And we don't have to know the name. I don't expect you to know the name of the player that's out there. If it's Eric Fisher, if it's another lineman that could play guard or tackle. But one's going to be available. And the Raiders do have some cap space to pull it off. And I think that this was a move. And I'm not going to put words in the mouth of Dave Ziegler or Josh McDaniels. But I think that we saw a player that was expendable in Denzel Good. A nice player. Once a Raider, always a Raider. But a player there that they looked at and it wasn't a part of the plan going forward. Uh, Dylan Parnham's got to step up big. You know, he's not a center per se. He can play center. But he's competing with John Simpson at left guard. Uh, Lester Cotton Sr. seems to be a player that's going to have a starting position as of today. That could change. And Leatherwood, I don't know. I can't wait to see him in pads tomorrow. That's the one thing I'm going to be looking at is to see the footwork of Leatherwood, how big he looks in pads, how fit he is, and how he goes through his first practice. Tomorrow's a big practice. These guys have been jumping to get in pads. You know Josh McDaniels wants to get in pads. Everybody needs to be in pads. Your opinion on pads tomorrow, 702-365-9200. Dino in Rochester. Good to hear from you, Dino. How you been? Good, JT. And yourself? Really good, man. Look forward to seeing you. Coming out to a game this year? Yes, the Houston game. I'll be there. Good. Look forward to seeing you at the torch. Sounds great. Uh... Yep. Okay. Uh, you wanted a memory of Cliff. I've uh, met him a number of times. He's always been a class act. I've had him here in Rochester for some autograph events. But as far as on-field memories, Super Bowl eighteen, Cliff is 35 years old, and he burns rookie Daryl Green of the Redskins, who is the NFL's fastest man. At 35, Cliff burned him for a 50-yard bomb in that game. And he, he later scored on a in about a 12-yard uh, in cut where he was just still at the top of his game, even at that age. His speed hadn't diminished. Just a tremendous, tremendous big game player. The sea of hands game, he was phenomenal in that game, too. Just a three-time Super Bowl champ that's uh, unfortunately not here to see this uh, tremendous honor that's been overlooked for so long. And, uh, you know, that 76 team, uh, JT, they have the owner, the head coach, mm-hmm. an assistant coach, the general manager, the quarterback, two receivers, a tight end, the left tackle, the left guard, and two defensive players in this in the uh, mm-hmm. Hall of Fame, along with the announcer. Let's not forget Bill King, the great right. Bill King. Sure. Just just one of the greatest teams of all time. Only one loss, and they avenged that one in the playoffs too. And I heard you're having uh, Plunk on. Is Plunk yeah, on Plunk's on after you. He's on here in about 10 minutes. We're supposed to have him on. If you could ask Plunk one question, I'd like to mm-hmm. know what his, his, his take is on seeing 
up close and personal, the next Raider that should be in, Lester Hayes, is 1980 season. Mm-hmm. 13 interceptions, five more in the playoffs, and five that were nullified by penalty that year. 23 picks for one season. Never been done but since, and will never be done uh, again. Yes, I agree with you. Good to have you, Dino. We'll keep you on hold. And Dino does a lot in Rochester, New York. He tried to bring me out there once for an event, and I got I never made it. I was snowed in in Detroit. I'll never forget that. I had my fraternity brothers. I went to college right outside of Rochester, and uh, Dino flew me out there along with some Raiders. I think it was Phil Villapiano and someone else, and I got to Detroit to change planes, snowed in. Couldn't get out of Detroit. I had to turn around the next day, spend the night in Detroit, and then I had to fly home and missed out on the event. He does a lot of great work. I appreciate that. Wow, Chris in West Oakland. We got to be close to the Hall of Fame. Here you are. Go ahead, Chris. Hey, JT. Yeah, real quick. Yeah, Gino or Dino, the last caller, man. I, great point about Lester Hayes. And before I get to my call about the O line and the Hall of Fame, I'll talk a little more about Cliff Branch when we get closer. But yeah, Lester Hayes, phenomenal. The fact that this guy's not in the Hall of Fame already. JT, it's not a coincidence that the Raiders always talked about, you know, the silver and black bias. Al Davis swore. Well, the last three members of the all-decade team of the 70s to go into the Hall of Fame, Kenny Stabler, Ray Guy, and Cliff Branch, all 25 and 30 years after they retired. You know, again, all-decade team, yet not in the Hall of Fame. The only one member left in the 1980s that was on the all-decade team who's not yet in the Hall of Fame, that would be Lester Hayes. And I've always said this. That's your next great Raider in waiting. But the guy I want to start making some noise for is Greg Townsend. Greg mm-hmm. Townsend has 30 more career sacks than Howie Long. All-time Raider sack leader. Doesn't even get a mention. That just boggles my mind. But my real reason, JT, to call day, I'm not a big, you know, I don't get excited about the preseason. I, I don't get interested in football until September. Although as bad as my A's are this year, that's probably going to change. The offensive line is the one group that has a chance to screw up everything that's been done. I'm a little bit concerned that other than Colton Miller, the Raiders didn't do a whole lot to up. In fact, they did nothing to upgrade their offensive line. They're just hoping they can develop a couple of guys. That's a hell of a risk to take when you go out and you sign the kind of skill position players you have. You're expected Derek Carr to have an MVP-type season, yet you're going into the season with Andre James again, who was rated the worst starting center last year. Alex Weatherwood's getting moved back to tackle when he was a bust last year. Maybe he'll develop, but again, it blows my mind that they didn't have a couple of contingency plans. That seems to be this team's M.O. the last few years. They rely heavily on the guys that are already there after they got rid of Hudson, um, Rodney Hudson, and uh, Gabe Jackson. Gabe Jackson. Uh, that's my one concern, JT. Yeah, that's my one concern with this team, and I'm on the record right now. If this offensive line doesn't perform, there's going to be a lot of questions to ask from the front office. Just why you thought guys that didn't perform very well last year I don't say they don't have a chance to compete, but bring somebody in to compete with them. Don't just hand Andre James the starting job again. He proved he wasn't that good last year. But that being said, I I got a little trust in Ziegler and McDaniels. Hopefully I'm dead wrong on this, and in October, when we're 3-1 and one and 4-0, and oh, we'll talk about that. Thank you, my friend. I hope you're having a great summer. It looks like you are, and I will uh, talk to you soon. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Hell of a start to the show today. Dino in Rochester, Chris in West Oakland. Jim Plunkett coming up next. Brian Billick at the top of the hour. Also the new play-by-play voice of the Raiders. That will be announced at 1 o'clock on Raiders.com and on all the devices where you follow the Raiders. 
monologue brought to you by PT's, the best happy hour in town, 5 to 7, midnight to 2. Head on out to PT's. They fuel the monologue. Let's keep it going today. Jim Plunkett, how about that? He joins us next. Back is Plunkett. Time to throw. Deep to the end zone to Branch. It is caught by Branch. Touchdown Raiders. He won a wrestling match against Wendell Young on the one-yard line. Holy Toledo. Cliff Branch's second touchdown catch of the day. Roy Neal Young could not have played him better. France just won a wonderful battle between two men who were in a dead heat when that ball was there for grabs. How great is that? Bill King on the call, the summer of Cliff Branch, and the man who threw the ball brought to you by Modelo, our good friend Jim Plunkett. Jim, how did that sound from Bill King? Bring back some memories? Oh, it certainly did. There was a great effort on Cliff's part. Uh, catching it between two defenders going up for it and he was the shortest guy there but he came up with the ball uh, jim what we've been doing this summer the summer of cliff is just having former teammates on to tell stories and memories so i'll just let you begin when this came together with you and cliff and when it happened was it at a practice was it at a meeting a game when it just locked in and you and cliff built this unbelievable legacy well, you know, it turned out, you know, I, I was, I always underestimated the speed. And I was, when I first got to the Raiders, you know, I tended to underthrow him quite a bit. I, I learned that very quickly. And so I just threw it as far as I could. And he usually went out and got it. Uh, he had that kind of speed, uh, you know, a 9-1, 100-meter uh, dash uh, record. I mean, he's, he's done so much with that speed of his. He did, I, I will admit, he did not have the greatest hands in the world, but he came up with some of the biggest plays uh, in the NFL. Yeah, Jim Plunkett's our guest. And, you know, Jim, we talked to players who were there before you, Phil Villapiano. I've talked to Freddie about it. And Kenny right. had that back shoulder to him, that back shoulder throw, because a lot of times he couldn't keep up with Cliff as Cliff took off, and Cliff would have to come back to the ball. And you just mentioned that there, too. That's not something to just look down on. That's a guy, the fastest guy at the time, you trying to get the ball out under an extreme rush. And sometimes Cliff would have to make an adjustment and come back to the ball. Well, I'd hate to admit that. Come on. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, of course, you know, he, uh, you know, the defender was so busy chasing him down the field and Cliff turned back and see what, could see where the ball was. And by, by the time the defender turned around, it was too late. Cliff had made the adjustment, uh, slowed down a little bit to make the catch. Uh, you know, he was so effective. They were so afraid of him. Either they'd play him so far off that you can throw underneath, which we did quite a bit. And when they blitzed or they tried to cover him tightly, you know, he just ran by the guy. Jim Plunkett joins us. So, Jim, can you maybe tell one story or two about him always wanting the ball? Because Madden said that before you got there when he started, and I heard you talk about it in the past, an example of him coming into the huddle in a game, and you knew you were going to get involved with the game plan, but he wanted it to start a little bit quicker. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Uh, you know, he was the, the guy, you know, he, he was also a chatterer. You know, he would always talk a lot during the course of a game, and some of it was nerves, some of it was excitement. And, uh, uh, you know, he was not quite in that huddle, even though I'm the quarterback. I, you know, I had to tell him to, you know, tone it down a little bit so I can get the play out. But, yeah, he's, you know, I can beat him deep. I can beat him inside. I can beat him outside. Uh, I can beat him across the field. That was, that was Cliff. That was his terminology every time he got in the huddle. He's the guy who 
who uh, could beat anybody at any given time, which he could, uh, you know, when the, when the situation was right. And, uh, you know, he found a way to, you know, to run by guys, even if they were 10 yards off at the snap of the ball. He just had that kind of extraordinary speed. Uh, and, you know, he didn't have the best hands in the world, and he'd be the first to admit it, but he still, still came up with some of the biggest plays uh, in football. Uh, Jim, in that era, tell me how often you checked out of a play because you saw a mismatch with all the great players you had, including Todd Christensen and the other receivers. But when you came to the line of scrimmage and saw a mismatch on Cliff or Cliff's in motion that you changed the play and went to him? Uh, 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 very often. You know, uh, when you see a guy who's playing him tight, uh, you know, you knew the guy didn't stand a chance against, against Cliff's speed. And hopefully I checked into the proper play, whether it be across the field, down the field. Uh, uh, you know, it's something to give Cliff a chance to, to beat the guy and me get him the ball, especially deep. He was just such a big threat down the football field. And so oftentimes, you know, during a game, he'd catch 10 passes, but, you know, for 8, 10, 12 yards because they were playing so deep, he had no chance to, to run by him. But then he was a big factor in the game because he caught so many passes. And some of those passes he turned into very long games. You throw him a quick out of, you know, six yards, and it turns into, a, you know, a 70-yard run. Uh, he, I mean, he was a great force in the game of football. Heisman Trophy winner, two-time Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl MVP. What an honor it is to talk to Jim Plunkett. Jim, what about socially the two-a-days, the fame, hard practices in between lunch, private time while you're working, but you have a little downtime? How did you and Cliff connect then? Uh, you know, uh, Cliff was a very quiet guy in many respects, except when he was in the game, you know, and in the <laughs> huddle. He would talk quite a bit. But, uh, you know, otherwise, you know, he was just, uh, you know, he kept to himself quite a bit. Uh, uh, and, you know, he, but he got fired up for practice. Uh, didn't want to overdo it with him because uh, you want to get, get your timing down deep down the field. But you didn't want to wear him out either. But, uh, as I said, a very quiet guy for the most part, except when it came to game time. And then it was, you know, I can beat him deep. I can beat him across. I, all that stuff came out. Jim, it's interesting because we played the soundbite of Super Bowl 15 when you were the MVP and Cliff had a big game. Uh, someone reminded me in Super Bowl 18 on that famed Marcus Allen reverse touchdown, Cliff's down there blocking. Can you talk about Cliff as a speed blocker downfield, opening it up for another receiver who was trying to extend a play? All of a sudden, Cliff comes out of nowhere and he makes a big block. Yeah, I mean, honestly, he didn't do that very often, you know, because you're a little guy, get knocked around. And you want him for the next play, but yeah, he made some uh, great uh, blocks to uh, to break some of our guys loose down the football field, uh, and if not blocking, really just getting their way, and that was enough sometimes uh, for Marcus Allen or Kenny King to run by somebody. Uh, but you know, he tried to help out when he could. Not you know, not the biggest guy in the world for sure, but you know, he made his presence known. Uh, Jim, it was great to have you at Tom Flores' induction. You were right there. The relationship that you and your wife, Jerry, have with Barbara and Tom, you could just see it. The crowd saw it there. It was such an emotional time for you. And now you go back with your receiver, Cliff Branch, and you continue to go back to Canton, and more and more fans stop you. I see it. Uh, they believe you should be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. What have these recent trips been like for you going back to Canton and seeing more Raiders get in? Well, yeah, I'm very thrilled uh, for them and, and their families. You know, it's a great honor. Uh, you guys, you know, give it all. Uh, we're on the football field when they are on the football field. And, you know, uh, you know, Cliff, you know, did the exact same thing. He was he was a force to be dealt with uh, during his career in the NFL. There's no question about it. You know, if Cliff was out there, you had a chance of a big play every time you got on the ball. 
and uh, it's well deserved. It's long overdue, as they say, and, and you know I'm very happy for his family. And uh, finally, we had a caller ask about Lester Hayes. We could go back for him. Obviously, we encourage everybody who supports you, Greg Townsend, other players in the past. Jim, it still feels like there's more. There's more room in that section of where the bus are for Raiders, great Raiders from the past. Oh, you know, they had uh, tremendous uh, players as well as you know entire football teams take that field year after year. You know, John Madden, Tom Flores. You know, their, their records speak for themselves. And, you know, cer- certainly there's a lot of people uh, who are d- very deservedly uh, uh, should be honored in that Hall of Fame. Uh, and, you know, I hope more of our players make it. That, that would be tremendous. And, and, and some of them very well should, should be in there. Uh, and hopefully their time will come. But unfortunately, it takes so long for some yeah. of them. Their families aren't around. Uh, and that's very sad. And sometimes the players aren't around like Cliff. But, uh, you know, uh, I hopefully in the near future we'll see more and more uh, former Raiders going to that hall. How's your summer been? You've been golfing much, traveling, the kids, grandkids. What have you been up to? Uh, a little bit of everything. Not traveling so much because of COVID, you know, and the mm. restrictions. The grandkids are in school for the most part. But I'm sitting there at a, at a golf course waiting for the guys I'm playing with to show up. And then we're going <laughs> to take the course on and see what we can do out there on the, on the golf course. Jim, I'll see you in Canton. Thanks so much for doing this. You bet. My pleasure, JT. Take care. Jim Plunkett. Wow. I tingles, man. Just like, you know, interviewing Jim Plunkett. Wow. Raiders radio right there. You know, he doesn't do a lot. He doesn't do a lot because he's at a stage in his life where he does a lot for his family and he's with his friends and he should be. The work that he does with Stanford, which is absolutely incredible. The Heisman Trust. As I've said, it's probably one of the greatest trophy rooms in all of sports history. The MVP of the Rose Bowl, two-time Super Bowl champ, a Super Bowl MVP trophy, the comeback player of the year. We mentioned the Heisman. How about the AFC Rookie of the Year? The Walter Camp Award, a gorgeous trophy. The Maxwell Award, one of the greatest trophies. All-American, his number retired by the Stanford Cardinal. I mean, when you look at Plunkett and his accomplishments, He needs to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio because of his two Super Bowl victories, his Super Bowl MVP, but most important, the story of Jim Plunkett. You cannot have a Hall of Fame without the story of Jim Plunkett, born to blind parents, went to Stanford, all the achievements in his life, and then playing great in the biggest of games after giving his body to the sport getting beaten down early in his career by the Patriots as a top pick, going to the Niners and taking a beating, and then Al Davis parking him, saying, you need to rest. We'll we'll have an opportunity for you. And then when Pastorini breaks his leg, he steps in and brings the Raiders to two of their three Super Bowls. How could you not have the quarterback of two of the Raiders' three Super Bowls in Canton, Ohio, where all the Raiders are? Plunkett must be inducted into the Hall of Fame. It is a huge priority for the Raider Nation to get behind this. I can tell you, privately, in person, and publicly on the radio, the Raider Hall of Famers make a difference. Mark Davis has made a tremendous difference talking to people around the league about the former players of Al Davis who should be inducted, who are his friends like Cliff and Jim. And then, as callers mentioned, Lester Hayes. Phil Villapiano, 
the great Greg Townsend, all the players that need to be in, Lester at the top of the list. And then that's about it. Woodson got in. And then you know, Tim Brown got in. There's not many left. And the Raiders need to develop Hall of Fame players so 20 years we can go back and say, wow, there's Devontae. He's going in. Derek Carr's going in. Chandler Jones is going in, mostly for what he did on other teams like Seymour, but he had two great years with the Raiders, or three and one was the Super Bowl. But getting back to Jim Plunkett, it is an injustice that Jim isn't in the Hall of Fame. And to see that man walk the streets of Canton when he should be in the Hall and he's not, that is a man of grace and dignity that he does that. There are a lot of people who are not in the Hall of Fame that won't go back. They won't go back because they're not in, and they're waiting for that. Jim Plunkett goes there representing Mark Davis's franchise and Mrs. Davis. Jim Plunkett goes back to induct his friends who are getting in, and he does it, and he's not waving his hand saying, what about me, what about me? And the way they treat him there is amazing. So thanks to Jim Plunkett. That is brought to you by Modelo. The fighting spirit of Modelo is tied directly to Jim Plunkett and his fighting spirit. Really excited about that as we continue. Brian Billick will join us at the top of the hour. And then at 2.05, the new play-by-play voice of the Raiders. And we'll have that interview coming up at 2.05. Q will come on right after. He's got a big show lined up. And we're going to do that. That's a pretty big deal today. Pretty big deal today. Everybody listening to the flagship. Again, thanks to Modelo for their proud partnership with us. It's very special. I mean, I played in an era that uh, there was no free agency. So you... You had the same team year in and year out for for many, many years, my whole career, because there was no free agency in the 70s and the 80s and stuff. Like, I, I can't remember, Jerry, when officially free, free agency came about. But we also look at the deals that Al Davis were making in those days. He could get cast-off players that, that had issues with other organizations, personal issues. With Al Davis... He wants you to come in, play a role, and be a part of the team and contribute in any kind of way. Cliff, the summer of Cliff. Welcome back, everybody. Brought to you by our great friends over at Resorts World, the four-plus billion-dollar property that continues to grow. Uh, come see us for Monday Night Football, as we'll be at the Doghouse Saloon, where the sports book is. they got country music after the games. It's a beautiful spot there doghouse free parking at resorts world meet me on a monday night football at resorts world so the raiders are making moves and when i look at their offensive line depth now they have some depth there but players who are not elite players they're okay jordan meredith comes in now i look at the players that they have dylan parham they drafted him to be her long term i interviewed thayer mumford at the stadium big kid We'll get reps in training camp. We'll play a lot in the preseason. Let's see what he can do. But Lester Cotton seems to be the player ascending at this point, and hopefully Alex Leatherwood. Alex Leatherwood is hearing a lot of chatter. Hopefully it's driving him. 
hopefully it's really motivating him because most fans are concerned about the right tackle position. And I don't know the level of concern with the Raiders coaching staff or the GM. They're not going to make us aware of that. But hopefully Alex is getting better because he's had a lot of reps. We're not talking about taking a guy that you never heard of from a small school, throwing him in at right tackle, saying, you know, he's in his second year. He came from a small school. He seems to be okay. He's serviceable. Talking about Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. Outland Trophy winner, national champion. The guy was a beast, and he played in all those games. And he played hard. And he played all those games last year. Didn't play well in all of them, but he was there. He played hard. I remember the bum that they had from New England at right tackle who never played. You remember Trent Brown and the fact that he never played and he wasn't interested in playing? And there was some good and bad with that. And he needed some treatment. And again, he never wanted to be a Raider. He never wanted to be be a Raider. He wanted to take the Raiders' money. I don't see any of that in Alex Leatherwood. I see a guy who's trying to get to the next level, and it's going to take some time, and hopefully it's sooner than later. Gangster Raider, right now, right here on Raider Nation Radio. Hey, what's up, JT? Salute to you, and um, that's a great interview you did with Jim Plunkett. And Jim Plunkett, to me, that's my quarterback, because when I was a kid and I first um, started learning about the Raiders, I got the tail end of Kenny Stabler, but Jim Plunkett, man, he's a living legend to me, and it's a travesty that he's not in the um, Hall of Fame and he has two Super Bowls, you know what I'm saying? And a lot of a lot of organizations don't have two Super Bowls. The Bears don't have two Super Bowls, you know what I'm saying? I can name plenty of organizations don't have any Super Bowl, but he has two, and he's still not in the Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? I bet you Aaron Rodgers would trade those four mm-hmm. regular season MVPs for another Super Bowl, you know what I'm saying? But um, uh, I think we need to get him in. We need to get Greg Townsend in. We get to get Todd Christensen in. And we need to get Lester Hayes in. That's four more we need to have in. You know what I mean? But back to the um, offensive line. It's this great um, channel on YouTube called Raider Classics where you can go watch an, um, old um, Raider games. And so I was watching the Raider game, um, two or three of the Raider games from late in the season last year, especially the Indianapolis game. And we went on that run. It was I saw in hindsight that run we went on, and we, I think we won like four or five games in a row. It was all because of the offensive line. The offensive line played great. Josh Jacobs started running better. And um, if it wasn't for um, the offensive line, we would have lost that Indianapolis game because Carr threw two interceptions. And even with those two interceptions, the line held up good enough to let Josh Jacobs, knowing Josh Jacobs run through his hole. And the, the running is the running and offensive line play is what pretty much won our games. And a lot of those games that we wanted to make the playoffs. So I think with the um, offensive line, generally like they did at the end of the season, mm-hmm. and with the new coaching, the, you know what I'm saying? I, I think I'm not really worried about the line. I think they can improve and gel even more got a year under them, you know, playing, and then they'll be playing together for more time. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. everybody need to pump their brakes and chill out. The offensive line is what got us to the playoffs last year. What Forget the first half of the season. Just look at the run we went on at the end. That was basically because, that was basically because of the offensive line. You know what I'm saying? And I saw that on the Raider Classic channel. And I just want to say, just give them their time, especially with the new coaches. I think we need to still go out and maybe get a lineman or two since good, retired. But it's not as bad as y'all think. Go back and watch those games late in the season from last year. Look at the offensive line play. And we're going to have a great season this year. I see everybody at the Hall of Fame game. I'm still trying to get there. I might need your help, JT, but I see you in Canton. Let's go. Yep, and uh, you're right about the offensive line. I thought the offensive line gelled together, gelled together really good down the stretch on that winning streak. You nailed it. They did. They played well, especially at Indy. 
especially in the indie game, and especially when Josh Jacobs was running downhill and Josh played so strong down the stretch. The offensive line, the topic for Big Al in San Francisco. Good to hear from you. Hey, JT. Um, you know, concerning the offensive line, last year's line played better than, than in the subsequent years. Um, good retired. He played he had a very good year in, uh, I guess it was 2020, and he played with the Raiders. He had a good year in 2019, I think, with the Raiders as well. But he didn't play last year. Okay, so whether we, he was on the team, yes, but he didn't play. So I don't look at uh, his retirement as that dramatic of a loss. The question is, can the line gel? Because no matter how many weapons we have, if the line doesn't gel and the giant and the line can't figure get it together, and Derek is you know and he's looking at the ceiling all day, that's a real problem. I don't really have any issues with Leatherwood. The guy came out as a first round draft pick. Guys take time to figure it out. Okay, teams take time to figure out where a guy's best place. You know, with the New York Giants, they drafted uh, Andrew Thomas, and everybody was all over him the first year. He was Pro Bowl caliber last year. It takes time. If Leatherwood plays up to his potential, and he was an outstanding, comes from outstanding pedigree, okay, that side of the line should be fortified. And with Miller on the other side, and I like James in the middle, this you know this line will be okay. But everybody just needs to take a chill pill when it comes down to Leatherwood. If he can't play, we'll know in the first four or five games. But he gave every indication last year that he was getting better, especially against the yeah. run. With the, with the run. If he plays better, we're going to be just fine. But let's Thanks, Big Al. Got to run at the top of the hour. You make a great point. Always does. A statistician who knows the game. You're right about that. Leatherwood has given us a little bit to show that he's developing in the right direction. The development's got to be huge. At this camp, it's got to be massive. He's got to be ready to go. Brian Billick, Super Bowl champ, joins us next.